I'd like to read to you Psalms 100. It's a short psalm, five verses. It's one of my favorite psalms of the 150. Most of the psalms, at the top of the psalm, there will be an expression that will say something about the psalm. And that's not true on all of them, but a good many of them. You may say a psalm of David or the prayer of Moses. We read in Psalms 90 and verse 1 or a psalm of Asaph. Some people mistakenly think that David wrote all the psalms. He did not. He wrote a great many of them. But Solomon is credited with one or two. And Moses and Asaph. Again, David did write the majority of them. Here we do not find a person's name above Psalm 100. We do find this expression, though, a psalm of praise. It's almost like praise wrote the psalm. Notice the wording. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. I just like reading that psalm. Puts me in a good frame of mind. The psalmist wrote about praising the Lord in many of his psalms, at least 18 psalms that I know of. He exhorts God's people to sing praises unto God. The last five psalms, Psalms 146 through 150, all begin and all end with the expression, saying praise unto the Lord. Each psalm starts that way, each psalm ends that way. And then the very last thing David says, as he wrote a hundred, uh, you know, as we see the reading of these 150 psalms, the very last thing that's pinned down is says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Now that expression there ought to tell anyone that the word everyone that hath breath or everything that hath breath would not necessarily include the squirrels and the rabbits and the dogs and the cats, Right? But the Lord's people that hath breath. They got that breath from God in the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, we find where God created man from the dust of the earth. He breathed his nostrils, the breath of life. He became a living soul. The Lord's people, as they call upon God, they can call upon him as their creator, but also as their heavenly father. And all that hath breath in this category ought to praise the Lord. Not in the last hymn, but the one before that starts off with praising the Lord that was selected. There's a lot said in the Word of God about this. The first time the word praise is used in the Bible is in connection with a name. We go to Genesis chapter 39 and we're going to find where Jacob's wife Leah is blessed to have four sons in the beginning. You know, Jacob loved Rachel, but he had to marry Leah before he could get Rachel. He had served 14 years to get two of them. (laughs) Seven years for each one. And I believe there was a love that Jacob had for Leah, but it was obvious, I think, to Leah and all others that his heart was really tied to Rachel. But in the beginning, Rachel was barren and couldn't bring forth any children. 
But Leah, she was very fruitful. And so her and Jacob have a son, and his name is Reuben. And another son named Simeon, another son named Levi. And these three names means the Lord has seen, the Lord hath heard, and the Lord hath joined me unto my husband. Then she has a fourth son, his name is Judah. She names him Judah, which means praise. She says, for I will now praise the Lord for this son and for these children. That word in Judah, as you trace it through the scripture, would uh, show forth the reason for uh, praise. We find the land of Canaan was known as the land of Bethlehem, Judah, which means the house of bread. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is referred to in the sixth chapter of John as the bread of life, that's where he was born, in the land of Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread. Very fitting, right? That the bread of life be born in the land of bread. We find the Lord Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. Look over in the book of Hebrews 7 and 13 and 14, and the apostle says, For it is evident our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which Nathemus said concerning the priesthood. The priesthood came from the tribe of Levi. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be our great high priest, didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah, which means praise. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we find where the apostle John began to weep because he looked in heaven, he looked on the earth, he looked beneath the earth to see if anyone was worthy to loose the seals of this particular book that was under consideration. And nobody was found worthy. And he began to weep, and the angel came to him and said, Weep not, John, for the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. The root of David hath prevailed to loose the seals of the book. He was the line of the tribe of Judah. He was of the tribe of Judah fulfilling a prophecy that Jacob set forth in Genesis 49.10, where he says, For the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the law give from between his feet till Shiloh come. The word Shiloh is an Old Testament term for the Messiah. Till the Messiah comes, the scepter, the identifying marks, like a shield or a flag or something, the scepter shall not depart where? From Judah, from the tribe of Judah nor the lawgiver, which was God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, until Shiloh come. That word Judah means praise. And Leah named her children based upon her experiences. The, the name Reuben means the Lord has seen my affliction. The word Simeon means the Lord hath heard my cry. The, the name Levi means to join. She said, for surely now uh, I'll be joined unto my husband. She so much desired to have the love of Jacob like she could see that Jacob had for Rachel. But Rachel's not able to have any children now. But again, Leah does, and she names these children after experiences. But that fourth child, Judah, be in particular important. Later on, we find where the nation of Israel was divided in two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was referred to as Israel with the capital city of Samaria. The southern kingdom referred to as Judah. And the capital city was Jerusalem. That's where God placed his name. That's the place where God commanded his children to come, where he chose this place he chose. He chose this place to put his name. He put the temple in this place where his people who had been blessed of him just immeasurably would come and honor him and bless him and praise his name in this place. So praise is very important. Look over here in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, and you'll find where he says, By him, therefore, do we offer the sacrifice of praise continually, even the fruit of our lips. 
It says, and to communicate and do good, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now, when you read the book of Hebrews, you read uh, a book that gives us a lot of uh, clarification from the Old Testament, you might say. Helps us to understand the Old Testament even better. In the Old Testament day, under the ceremonial law, there was offerings and sacrifices made on a regular basis. There was a morning uh, sacrifice. There was an evening sacrifice. And so the Hebrews were well acquainted with offerings and sacrifices. But the Lord Jesus Christ came not to destroy the law, to fulfill it. And all the animal sacrifices came to an end. But all the sacrifices did not. The Lord's people, since the day of the Lord Jesus Christ's present hour, are expecting to make some sacrifices. Let's take a look at, at three of them in particular. All right. We go back to Hebrews 13. It says, Wherefore by him, that is by God, we offer the sacrifice of praise. Here's praise. The sacrifice of praise continually. Not just every now and then. Not just, you know, here and there or whatever. But we offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. That's what we did this morning in the song service. You were indeed... Offering unto God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, as you sang those hymns of praise and adoration unto God. Now remember, an offering a sacrifice would be either accepted or rejected. That's the nature of a sacrifice. You, you make the sacrifice, hopefully it'll be accepted. If it's done according to divine specifications, it would be. When Israel went out to get a lamb for the offering of sacrifice... Knowing human nature like I do, and I've mentioned this before, I'm sure there were shepherds who looked at their flock and saw a lamb limping along. They said, well, I, I think that lamb will do. No, that lamb wouldn't do. Or they saw a lamb, looked like it was sick, just didn't have any energy. You could tell something's wrong with that lamb. So shepherds said, well, I, you know, that lamb would, I'll make that lamb a sacrifice. No, no, no. No, the Lord is not going to accept that. The Lord said you to take the firstling of the flock, a male lamb, the first flock, without spot and without blemish. There can be no spot or blemish in your offering and your sacrifice. If you want it to be accepted. So as we sing these hymns of adoration to God, make this offering to God, we want that offering to be accepted, do we not? We want God to be pleased with this effort. God to be pleased with our offering. Are we actually singing from the heart as Ephesians 5.19 tells us to? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're singing to the Lord. You're making an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord. Colossians 3, 15 and 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart, or singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. When we sing, we sing to the Lord. I try to emphasize that on a regular basis. When you, if you will think about that, when I sing, I'm singing to the Lord, I think we take it more seriously, don't you? We're not just singing to take up time for Brother Lawrence to, to kind of get prepared for preaching a little bit later on. <laughs> or we're not just, you know, trying to make a service, a worship service more lengthy. Uh, we're not just, you know, uh, waiting for everybody to get here. Uh, that does require that. Uh, but that's not why we do it. We're singing to the Lord. He expects to hear your voices, making melody in your heart to him, singing with grace in your heart to him. Where did you get the grace to, to make the melody in your heart to begin with? <laughs> you got it from the Lord, did you not? Then he says, and to communicate. And the word communicate in the New Testament doesn't mean 
uh, words that we use to talk to one another, it means to share. It means to share and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That means whatever God has blessed us with, we are to share that with the Lord's people. We're to bring it to the house of God. Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. Therefore shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your wine presses shall burst out with new wine. That's a picture of fruitfulness and prosperity. If you want your wine presses to burst forth with new wine, if you want your barns to be filled with plenty, then you're to honor the Lord with your substance. The substance that wasn't yours to begin with, God gave it to you, so honor him with that. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, he says, I've given order to the church of Galatia, even so do I unto you upon the first day of the week, as God has prospered you, that every man so lay aside. This is the first day of the week. I, I, I never dreamed in a hundred years, uh, many years ago, that I would uh, live in a day and age in which people gave to the church with, uh, in such many different ways. You know, the traditional way is to put it in the plate. And of course, we usually pass the plate, but we haven't passed it since the pandemic. We just put it back there. But I kind of like that in a way because you can give coming, you can give going. You know, you get two tries at it. And you can lay in there and begin wed just because you're feeling good. And then you can put some more in there because you're feeling great when you leave. So maybe we get a double portion that way. I don't know. Right? First day of the week. Then we got Venmo. I reckon I said that right and Apple Pay, and different ways that people give. I don't care how you give, just as long as you do it in a manner and way that satisfies being the first day of the week. As God has prospered you, you lay aside to honor Him. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That's a sacrifice. And then Romans 12, 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service. What you're doing this morning is not out of the ordinary, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to go to bed on Saturday night prepared to come to the house of God on Sunday morning. If you do that, you need to get into bed before 1 a.m. You know, you need a good night's rest, a good night's sleep. You need to be in the house of God. You're on the way to the house of God. You get up in the morning that the Lord's on your mind. Maybe you're humming a few hymns. Maybe you're, you know, take time to read a few verses of Scripture. And on the way to, to church, you and your family to discuss God and the Word of God. That's all preparation coming to the house of God. I beseech you. The word beseech means to beg. I beg of you. I beseech of you that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, the word acceptable. We want it to be accepted, don't we? So we're sitting here in the pew and we're thinking about what you didn't get done yesterday. Well, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You didn't get it done. You just didn't get it done. That's just all there is to it. You know, well, I got to do double tomorrow. Well, that, let tomorrow take care of itself. Today's the Lord's day. Today's the first day of the week. Today's the day we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's the day we meet the Lord in the Lord's house. And we pray for his presence, pray for the manifestation of the Spirit of God in his house, that we might meet with the Lord today, with the Lord's people around the Word of God. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Notice how he puts that in there. When you consider God's mercies, that you're a vessel of mercy. 
that Christ died for you as an act of mercy. In the book of Psalms, we read, for mercy and truth have met together, righteous peace have kissed each other. When God born you the Spirit, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we've done, according to his mercy, as Satan is with the washing regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's an act of God's wonderful mercy in your life when he born you the Spirit. And then Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The Bible speaks about the multitudes of God's mercies. I beseech you therefore by the mercy of God. When you consider the mercy of God, it ought to motivate you to arise and shine and come to the house of God with gladness. Notice what it says in Psalms 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. That word joyful noise there means with uh, exaltation and the shout of triumph. You, you serve a triumphant God. You serve a God who's given us the victory. And therefore we're to lift up our voices uh, with joy and sing with gladness. Then we notice verse 3. Know ye that the Lord hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. That's right in the middle, verse 3 right there. He says, enter in his courts with thanksgiving and his, uh, in his temple with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He says, come into his, his house with praise. Well, that third verse ought to give you a lot to praise God for. Know ye the Lord. Here's a very simple concept found throughout the word of God, yet a lot of people don't understand it. A very simple concept. Know ye the Lord. It's he that made us and not we ourselves. It's not a combination of the Lord and us. It's the Lord, 100% that's made us. It's 100% not of us. <laughs> we didn't have anything to do with it. It's the Lord that made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. I may say more about that a little bit later on, okay? But let's get back to those sacrifices just for a moment, lest you forget what I've already said about it. And that is that we'd offer the sacrifice of praise. We'd offer the sacrifice, sacrifice of sharing, and we'd offer the sacrifice of our bodies in the house of God on a regular systematic basis every Lord's Day, the first day of the week. God expects us to be in his house to honor him. He said, I beseech you therefore with the mercies of God. And we want those sacrifices to be accepted, do we not? We want God to accept the sacrifice. That means we have to prepare our minds, have to prepare our hearts, have to prepare our lives. As we come in here, it must be according to God's divine specifications. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Apostle Peter is writing to the people. Now, before I quote that verse, I want to quote the first verse of the first chapter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. It's Peter writing, by divine inspiration, he's writing to strangers who are scattered. They're scattered because of sufferings and persecutions. They're called strangers because God's people in this world are Strangers and pilgrims here. Strangers being somebody away from home, a pilgrim, somebody on a journey. That describes God's saints in this life here. So Peter, to the strangers scattered throughout those areas. Then he says, elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Okay, that's who he's writing to. But now he's going to describe you in a little different way. First Peter 2, 9. He says, for you're a chosen generation. That word generation means kindred. We're akin to one another. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> I hope you like it. <laughs> oh, I don't know where about your family tree. I hadn't seen yours. You hadn't seen mine. Mine only goes back a short distance. I'm afraid to look too deep. I may find something I don't like. <laughs> I may open one of those closets, you know what I mean? <laughs> but we're all spiritually kin in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're a chosen generation. He didn't say you're a generation that chose. He says you're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Now, the things he's going to say about those strangers and that elect right there can be found also in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. You'll find some very similar language that was used concerning the nation of Israel. You look in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he's, and God says unto Israel through Moses, he said, For the Lord did not choose you because you were greater in number. Apparently, that's something people may have thought. Israel might have thought, well, he chose us. Because it was greater in number. He said, no, in fact, you were the fewest. God did not choose you because you were greater in number. In fact, you were the fewest. But God chose you, set his love upon you based upon his purpose, his will, his sovereign grace. And in chapter 19, he says, for ye are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. See, in the Old Testament day, they had a priesthood. In the New Testament day, you are the priesthood. Okay? You are the priesthood today. Look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For we have made us kings and priests unto God. There's a way that you've been made a king by God. There's a way you've been made a priest by God. Now, in the Old Testament day, there was never a king that was also a priest. Uzziah tried to one time. Remember his life? What happened to him? He tried to do the work of a priest. That violated God's command, violated God's word. Therefore, his hand was turned to leprosy. He died a leper as a result of that. But the Lord Jesus Christ, notice Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, holy brethren, let us consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 says he's our great high priest. Seeing therefore he has uh, uh, gone into the heavens, Consider him as gone into the heavens as our great high priest. Obviously, he's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. The wise men came with the question, where is he this morning, King of the Jews? He come riding in upon that ass, the coat, the fold of an ass into Jerusalem as Lord of Lord and King of Kings, fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9, where it says, Shout, O Jerusalem, rejoice, O Zion, for thy King cometh just in having salvation. Jesus Christ points to the royal priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And Israel was expected to be holy. They were expected to separate themselves from the other nations. God told them to drive the other nations out and you destroy their pictures and their images and one thing and another. They were not to affiliate with them. They were not to give their sons to their daughters, nor their daughters to their sons. They were not to mix and mingle. They were to separate themselves from it. Now, the Bible does not teach isolation. It does teach separation. And the Lord's Bible teaches separation without contamination. 
It's the difference in separation and isolation. Israel didn't do that as well as they should have. They suffered as a result of it. But he says to those saints that Peter's writing to, you're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that word peculiar there doesn't mean what you might normally think it means. Oh, we got some peculiarities about us, all right. <laughs> that word peculiar there means a purchased possession. It means you're a purchased people. Notice what you are made by the grace of God. You're a chosen generation. God chose you in Christ. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. So therefore, what should you do? He says, you might shew forth, his, shew forth praises unto him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you want to do a little word study on your own, just study the word darkness and light, especially in the New Testament day. Darkness and light. What are you by nature? You're darkness by nature. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. How did you get to be light in the Lord? You were called into that light, right? That's what Peter says. You to show forth praises unto him who hath called you out of darkness in this marvelous light. Now you got darkness and you got light, and it's this marvelous light, and you've been called out of darkness. Which is, a, which is a picture of sin and death over here into this marvelous light, which is a picture of his life. Notice John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehended means it understood it not. There's no understanding between darkness and light. Ephesians 5 and 11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He hath called us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. When something is translated, what is being translated is passive. This Bible didn't translate itself. It came from the Hebrew and Arabic and the Old Testament, the Greek and the New. It didn't just translate itself into the English, did it? But it was translated, it was passive in the translation. And you're passive in the work of regeneration. You're passive in the new birth. You're passive in the translation here, you see. You've been translated out of darkness. And in this marvelous light, I tell you, if I half us, well, I'm almost tempted just to preach on darkness the rest of this meeting, but I'd rather preach on light. How about that? <laughs> but you need to understand why that darkness is. God delivered you out of that darkness. And it's the marvelous light, my friends, of when he born you the Spirit of God. Took you out of a state of death and sin to a state of life in Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, you should show forth praises. Show forth praises. Not just praising with your lips, but show forth praises. That's with your life. Show forth praises unto him who's called you. Who called you? He called you. That's how you got out of darkness. Did you walk your way out of darkness? Did you claw your way out of darkness? Did you talk your way out of darkness? Did you buy your way out of darkness? No, you did not. You were called out of darkness. Called out. So what happens when you're called out? You're calling an effectual call. That life-giving voice of Jesus Christ that calls and there's a response. It's like he called Lazarus right out of the grave. How much light was in that grave, by the way? How much light was in that grave? I'd say zero, wouldn't you? <laughs> he 
He called Lazarus right out of that grave, right out of darkness. Lazarus though had grave clothes on, did he not? He could not see, so he's in another type of darkness. But the Lord told his disciples to loose him and let him go. That's the purpose of the ministry, not to get him out of the grave. <laughs> I've never got anybody out of the grave. If you're depending on me to get you out of the grave, we're in trouble. I've never got anybody out of the grave, but I believe by the preaching of the gospel, maybe I've unwrapped a few people's minds. He said, loose him and let him go. And they began to unravel the, the grave clothes off his head. And, and the first thing you know, his eyes were open. Now he could see. <laughs> he could see the Savior who got him out of that grave. I want you to see the Savior when I preach. He got you out of the grave of death. And one day get your body out of the grave uh, as, it passed, as if it passed away for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fear not, fret not. The Lord's voice will get your body right out of the grave just like you got your soul right out of that state of death and sin. Show forth praises unto him who calls you out of darkness and there's marvelous light. Oh, how we need to praise him. There's an unusual statement found over here in the Psalms, Psalm 76, verse 10. It says, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. The wrath of man shall praise God? You might say, well, I can understand how the Lord's people would want to praise God. I can understand how the Lord's people would have the desire to praise God. But how in the world does the wrath of man praise God? Well, it does. Let's take a look over here in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, you're going to find where a decree was put out by King Nebuchadnezzar. And that decree was, whenever there was a sound of the musical instruments, they was to bow down to a great image in gross idolatry. These three Hebrew children would not do it. Those Hebrew children were faithful to God. They would not do it. The king became very angry. Very angry. Won't you notice what the Bible says here? In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visions was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded they should heat the furnace one time, seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most, most, most mighty men that were in his army to bind them and cast them in the burning fiery furnace. You see the wrath of man. You see the wrath of this king here. The very idea these three boys here would not bow down to his image as he had commanded them. They were violating his command. They were, uh, you know, opposing his command. The very idea of that. And his command was clear. It was heated so hot, those who put them in there, they actually were consumed on the outside themselves. Now, obviously you should know the story. We find the king looking into that furnace and he saw something that got his attention. He saw four in that furnace. He said, didn't we not cast three in? But I see four. And one's like unto the Son of God. And those three, and the fourth of the Lord Jesus Christ, were walking around. They were having fellowship. That fire that was so hot, it consumed those that cast them in there, burned off their bonds. They were free. They were loose. It gave them freedom and liberty. And they're just having a good old time in the midst of a burning furnace. Oh, he was astonished at this. Let's notice the response. It says, there's not a hair of their head singed, neither was their clothes changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. How could that be? 
Not only were they not consumed, but their hair was not singed. You can just get pretty close to a, uh, to a fire, uh, uh, you know, a strong fire. If you're not careful, it'll singe the hair on your arm or your eyebrows. I've seen that happen. And they're in the midst of it, but it's not happening. And you don't even smell smoke upon it. You ever open up the door of a car where a person owned the car and smoked? You ever, don't ever buy one like that. You'll never get the smoke out. I guarantee you will not get the smoke out. Here's what the king said in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies and might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Is this actually coming from Nebuchadnezzar? Yes, it is. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language should speak any thing amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. That came to the lips of Nebuchadnezzar. The raft of man praised God, didn't it? <laughs> isn't it amazing? Isn't it one will see uh, uh, the raft of man if it left up to the king. Those three Hebrew boys would have been cremated right there in the midst of that furnace, but not so. They didn't even have any harm, no injury or anything, no smell of smoke on their clothes. Now the hair was singed upon them. Oh, when he seen all that, boy, nothing but praise rolled out from his lips. In the fourth chapter of Daniel, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a picture of pride. And the Lord hates pride. The Lord hates six things. Proverbs 6, 16 says, there are six things the Lord hates, and the seventh is an abomination in his sight. And the very first thing is a proud look. The apostle Peter tells us to resist, you know, he tells us to uh, humble ourselves in the sight of God, for God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar walks out one day, he took a look at his kingdom there and he began to boast about himself, boast about what he had done. And while the words were just flowing out of his mouth, what he had accomplished, what he had done in this great kingdom, he was driven off his throne, driven out into the field where his hair grew like bird feathers, his nail like bird claws. Oh, what a sight he was. What a sight he was. I used to wonder, what in the world could he, how, how could a man look like that? I mean, what, I tried to put a picture in my mouth. In fact, one time I got my pen and tried to draw a picture of this man. And I, I can't draw worth a lick, but I was doing the best I could. And I just couldn't hardly imagine. And then, and then I was sitting in, in the mall one day on a chair there waiting for Carrie, and somebody walked by and I said, that's him. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> Never seen anybody look like that. Hair like bird feathers, nails like bird claws, eating grass like a wild beast out in the wilderness. But then the Lord dealt with him. Listen to verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. If you want your understanding to return to you, first thing you need to do is lift up your eyes to heaven. Then his eyes to heaven, his understanding returned unto him. He says, I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And then one of the greatest statements in the Bible comes to the lips of this man. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Boy, that'll, that'll put a dent in your pride, won't it? 
All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed, their reputations, they're nothing. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will in the army of heaven. Among all the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What doest thou? Boy, doesn't that just make you feel good, just to, to quote that? I just look for reasons to quote that. Well, even when there's no reason to quote it, I just like to work it in when I can. <laughs> all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will. God has a will. And God works his will among all the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. That shows he's the omnipotent God of glory. Or say them, what doest thou? That shows how sovereign he is. He's a sovereign, omnipotent God of heaven and of earth. He has a will. And he works that will, thank God. And you think man's puny will is going to override God's eternal will? I don't think so. Yes, that came from the lips of Nebuchadnezzar. In the sixth chapter, another king is on the throne in the name of Darius. And here we have where a decree was put out that for 30 days nobody was to pray to any other god than the false gods of the kingdom there. And Daniel, he knew when the writing was signed and he knew it, the decree had been signed. We find three times a day Daniel would open up the windows toward Jerusalem, and he would pray three times a day to the God of heaven. And they saw that, and they brought it back to the king, and the king couldn't reverse what he did, and the king had to put him into a den of lions. Now this king was a little different than Nebuchadnezzar in the beginning. This king hated what he did. He really liked Daniel. He really liked him, and he didn't sleep at all that night. The next morning he came in there where the, came where the den of lions was and he cried aloud and said, Oh, Daniel, he says, the God whom thou servest continually. Notice that. He had seen that in Daniel's life. The God whom thou servest continually. Was he able to deliver thee from the mouth of the lions? And Daniel said, Oh, king, live forever. Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know why they said that, but you'll find that a number of times in the Bible. There are some people I do not want to live forever. O king, live it forever. My God sent an angel last night to shut the mouth of the lions. I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> a, a miracle took place. It does notice here in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he's a living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that shall not be destroyed, his dominion shall be even to the end. He delivereth and rescueth. And he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That came from the lips of King Darius, a heathen king. Surely the raft of man shall praise thee. And the remainder of wrath shall he restrain. You might not think about wrath praising God. And see, here we have praise coming from the lips of heathen kings. Sometimes the wrath of God praises, the wrath of man praises God, not from the lips of those who bring the wrath, but from those who've been delivered from the wrath. From those who've been delivered from the wrath. Have you ever felt the wrath of man come upon you? Well, if you have and God delivered you, then you should bring praise unto him. The raft of man will, will praise him in that way, you see. 
When come over to the New Testament day, when, when the Lord blessed Zechariah, we find that Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a child, and she was barren. They were old and well stricken in years. And an angel came and told them their prayers had come up for memorial before God. And Zechariah could not believe it. The news was so great, I guess, he just couldn't believe it. I, I know sometimes that's the way news is. It can be so good, you can't, it's, it's too good to be true. But it was going to be true. They were old and well stricken in years. And that just simply means they were really old. They were aged. They were far too old to have children, yet they were praying about it. And the Lord answered that prayer. He blessed Elizabeth, who was already called barren, to conceive and bring forth his son John. And the angel told Zechariah what was going to happen. And Zechariah says, how can this be, seeing uh, that we're old and well stricken in years? And apparently it was an expression of doubt. And the Lord said, you shall not say anything for nine months. For nine months. When the nine months was over, it came time for Elizabeth to have the child. She had the child. And all the kinfolks and everybody came. And they got there. She said his name is John. They said, oh, he can't be John. It's got to be after Zechariah. And they appealed to Zechariah. Notice this here. He asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. Oh, he, he, was, he was on board now, wasn't he? And then notice this. And his mouth was open immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and praised God. <laughs> what did he praise God for? Well, we're not giving all the details, but somehow or another, I just believe he praised God for the safety of his wife. His wife had just had a child. I believe he prayed in thanksgiving for that. I believe he probably prayed and praised God uh, for the birth of that son that they'd prayed for. He says his name is now going to be called John. And then he began to prophesy. And I believe he began to praise God for the arrival of the Messiah and what the Messiah was going to do and what his son John was going to do. His tongue was loosed. He began to praise God. He had something to praise God for, did he not? I look in Luke chapter 2 and when the Messiah is about to be born, we find an angel by the name of Gabriel comes and makes the announcement. And the Bible says, and with the angel was a heavenly host. Now I want you to notice separation here. With the angel was a heavenly host. We're not told that the heavenly host was angels. People assume they were. Maybe they were. But it says there appeared with the angel a heavenly host. And they came praising God saying, glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth, good will toward men. That's pretty easy to, to understand that praise, is it not? The Savior has arrived. Shiloh has come. The Messiah makes his appearance. He's going to be born of a virgin Mary. And the angel comes bringing the glorious news and a multitude. God sends a choir from heaven and that choir begins to praise him. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is the only kind of peace man will ever have upon the face of this earth. And that is the Prince of Peace, the Lord and Jesus Christ. I can assure you that. But peace came in the person of the Savior. The angel and the multitude of heaven came praising God. The Lord lives his life out and as he did the mighty works, we find there were those who praised him such as when he gave sight to blind Bartimaeus. And the Bible says the multitude praised him for that. And we come to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ found in Luke chapter 24. And Luke 24 find where the Lord met with his disciples after 40 days after his resurrection just outside the town of Bethany. 
right outside the town of Bethany, the house of mercy. We find Jesus meeting with those disciples and he gives them his charge. And then the Bible says that he blessed them and he was parted from them and he left them and went right into heaven, right in their own eyesight. And the Bible says those disciples then turned and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and gladness in their hearts and they entered into the temple and they worshiped and praised him. You want to praise God? Want a reason for praising God? Praise him for his resurrection. Praise him for his ascension. Because one day, based upon his resurrection, his ascension, your body's going to be resurrected and you're going to ascend into heaven just like Jesus did. Oh, I tell you, brother, let me get Psalms 48.1 here. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the mountain of his holiness. He's not just worthy of praise, he's greatly to be praised, is he not? You go to Psalms 107 and you will find four times in Psalms 107 where the writer says, oh, that men would praise him for his goodness and for the wonderful works of men and read the things in between the four times it's mentioned there and you'll see what God did for his children and then he just breaks out in this expression, oh, that men would praise him for his goodness, for his goodness and for his wonderful works unto the children of men. Each day that you arise and your eyes are open, your feet hit the floor, you can praise God for his goodness one more time. Bless you to have a night's sleep. Bless you to see the rising of another sun. Bless you to have a sound mind and desire within your hearts to honor him and praise him and go to work or come to the house of God. Read those, those four times in there, what he did for his people. I always enjoy reading the third chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, you find where Peter and John, who were companions, we find them together on many occasions, where Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer to pray. They had a designated time and a designated place to go and pray. And they went up together. They were side by side, went up together, and they were together in their mind and purpose to serve God. It's two ways to be together. And as they came near the temple, there was a man, a lame man there. And he was asking alms of the people. Now, if you study that time of season of the year, there was probably many lame people there. Multitudes were there. Thousands were there. But there was this one lame man. And this lame man came asking alms. That was certainly in keeping with the Jewish culture of that day. The Jews believed in giving of alms. He's asking for um, some, some, some help, some financial help. He's asking for alms. Peter looks upon him and makes this statement. He says, silver and gold have I none. Silver and gold have I none. I've wondered at what the man must have thought at this point. That's what he thought he needed. That's what he wanted. But Peter said, I don't have any of that. What he thought he needed and what he wanted, the man doesn't have any of that. But Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but as much as I have, oh, what's coming next? But as much as I have, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. <laughs> and you know what happened? That man got on his feet and walked. <laughs> the first thing he done was stand up, which he hadn't done no telling how many years. He just stood right up. And then the Bible says, he began to walk, and then he began to run, and he began to leap. <laughs> and it says, Praising God. Well, I would think so, wouldn't you? 
And then he was found with the disciples in the temple. And I thought about that this morning a little bit when, I, when this was kind of on my mind. Not only did he stand up, but he stood up. You understand what I'm saying? He stood up physically, and then he stood up with the Lord. Anybody ever asked you where you stand on something? This man standing on his feet as a result of the miraculous work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he's standing with the Lord with those disciples. Where do we stand today? Where do I stand? Where do you stand? The Lord has done for you more than what he's done for that lame man. He's given you life. He's given you ears to hear and heart to understand and eyes to see and feet to walk and hands to labor and serve him with. All in one stroke of grace, as I like to refer to it. When God born you the Spirit, when God was doing miracles, he, there were times he gave sight to the blind, sometimes he gave hearing to the deaf, sometimes he loosened the tongue of those so they could speak. Sometimes there were those that were lame and he enabled them to get up on their feet and to walk. There were lepers that he cleansed. There was people he raised up from the dead. All these were done to different individuals. But when God born you the Spirit of God, he raised you from the dead. When God born you the Spirit of God, he gave you an ear to hear. He gave you an eye to see. He gave you a heart to understand. He gave you a desire within your heart to serve him and to walk and, and to worship him in spirit and in truth. He gave you all that in one act. Think about it. He was going around walking and leaping and praising God. And finally, brethren, remember what I told you that meant, right? And finally, brethren, let us consider for a moment Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we find where two men, Paul and Silas, are in a prison. They've been beaten severely placed into that prison. Their hands and their feet have been put in, in the stocks. Then the Bible says, at midnight, at midnight, that's a significant phrase in Scripture, as the noonday sun usually represents the brightest time of the day, midnight usually represents the darkest time of the night. And at midnight, they prayed and they sang praises to God. Some of the other examples I gave you, it's real easy to see why they praise God, right? It's real easy to see how a blind man was given his sight like blind Bartimaeus following Jesus and praised him. It's real easy to see how the lame man, when God gave him power to get on his feet and he would walk and he would run and he would leap, it's real easy to see why he would praise him, right? But Paul and Silas are praising him while they're still in prison in the darkest time of the night. In the book of Job 35 and 10, book of Psalms 42 and 8, we find where the Bible says that God gives songs in the night season. The night season usually represents that time of affliction, that time of discouragement, that time of sorrow, that time you might be going through the valley of despair. And while you're going through those seasons, God brings a song into your mind. I want to sing hymn 478. Um, where's Mark at? I'm going to get him to lead that one for us. 478 as we conclude here this morning. Hymn 478. Come on up, Mark.
God gives songs in the night season. Have you ever been so down and out, and, and, but the Lord blessed you, just start thinking about the Lord? And maybe you just started saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once was lost and now I'm found. Once was blind and now I see. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. Hungry, faint, and poor. Hymns like that. What a friend we have in Jesus. And all of a sudden your mind gets off yourself and your mind gets off the circumstance. It's the night season but all of a sudden things seem brighter. Things seem clearer. And you do what Paul said when he said, Rejoice in the Lord. Always I say unto you, Rejoice. Let us show forth praises unto him that called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We sang hymn number 478. Uh, at this time, you might, uh, Mark, go ahead, please. Take the lead. 